Section 9 of Fairy Prince and Other Stories by Eleanor Hallowell Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Book of the Funny Smells and Everything. Part 1. It was Carol who invented the book. He didn't mean any harm. I helped him. We called it The Book of Funny Smells and Everything. It was one Tuesday noon coming home from school that we stopped the lady on the street. She was a very interesting-looking lady. She looked like all sorts of different colored silk roses and a diamond brooch. "'Excuse us, madam,' I said, "'but we are making a book, and we have decided to begin it with you. If you were a beautiful smell instead of a beautiful lady, what beautiful smell in the whole wide world would you choose to be?' The lady reeled back against the wall of the post office and put on a gold eyeglass to support her. "'Merciful impudences!' she said. "'What new kind of census is this?' We knew what a census was. "'No, it isn't that at all,' I explained. "'This is just something important.' Carol showed her the book. He showed her the pencil he was going to write the book with. "'When it's all done,' I explained, "'everybody will want to read it.' "'I can well believe it,' said the lady. She looked at Carol. "'Everybody looks at Carol.' "'Who are you children, anyway?' she said. "'My name is Ruthie,' I explained, "'and this is my brother, Carol.' She began to look at Carol all over again. She reached out and shook him by the shoulder. "'Dumbness,' she said. "'Why let sister do all the talking?' My stomach felt pretty queer. "'My brother Carol can't talk,' I explained. "'He is dumb.' The lady turned very red. "'Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear,' she said. She opened her purse. She took out a dollar bill. Surely something could be done about it, she said. We are not looking for money, I explained. We are perfectly rich. We have warm underalls and two parents and an older sister. We have a tame coon and a tame crow. Our father could paint the house any autumn he wanted to, if he'd rather do it than plant tulips. The lady looked at her watch. It was a bright blue watch no bigger than a violet is. "'This is all very interesting,' she said. "'But at the obnoxious hotel which you run in this village, dinner is at twelve o'clock, and if I'm not there at exactly that moment, there will not be another dinner, I suppose, until twelve o'clock the next day. So—' "'Probably not,' I said. "'So if you don't feel timid at all about walking out with strangers, my brother Carol and I will walk home to the hotel with you and write our book as we go.' The lady bit herself. She bit herself in the lip. She began to walk very fast. Carol walked very fast on one side of her. I walked very fast on the other. Carol carried the book. He carried it wide open so as to be all ready any moment. I carried the pencil. "'Can you tell me,' said the lady, "'just why you and your brother have picked upon me as the first victim of your most astonishing interrogations?' "'Because you are the only lady we ever saw in our lives that we didn't know who she was,' I explained, "'and that makes it more interesting.' "'Oh,' said the lady. She gave a queer little gasp. It was the hotel happening. She ran up the hotel steps. There was a gentleman waiting for her at the top of the steps. He was a tall gentleman with a very cross mustache. The lady whispered something to him. He shook his mustache at us. "'Get out of here, you young scamps!' he cried. "'Get out of here, I say! Get out!' 
No one had ever shaken his mustache at us before. We sat down on the step to think about it. The gentleman ran off to call the hotel proprietor. The lady looked a little sorry. She came running back. She stooped down. She took the book from Carol and the pencil from me. She laughed a little. You funny, funny children, she said. What is it you want to know? The most beautiful smell in the whole wide world. Is that it? The most beautiful smell in the whole wide world? She looked back over her shoulder. She wrote very fast. Her cheeks looked pink. She banged the book together just the first second she had finished. She pulled my ear. I'm... I'm sorry, she said. Oh, that's all right, I assured her. We'll be round and write the rest of the book some other day. The man with a cross mustache kept right on hunting all around. When the hotel proprietor came running and saw who we were, he gave us two oranges instead, and a leftover roll of wallpaper with parrots on it, and all the old calendars that were in his desk. We had to race home across the railroad trestle to get there in time. It wasn't till we reached the blacksmith shop that we had a chance to stop and see what the lady had written in our book. There was a smoke tree just outside the blacksmith shop. It was all in smoke. We sat down under it and opened our book. This is what the lady had written in our book. The most beautiful smell in the world is the smell of an old tattered baseball glove that's been lying in the damp grass by the side of a brook in June time. I looked at Carol. Carol looked at me. We felt surprised. It wasn't exactly what you would have expected. Carol rolled over on his stomach. He clapped his heels in the air. He pounded his fists in the grass. We forgot all about going home. We went into the blacksmith shop instead. It was a very earthy place, but nothing grew there. Not grass, not flowers, not even vines. Just junk. The blacksmith's name was Jason. He looked something like a stove that could be doubled up in its stomach and carried round to all four corners of a horse for the horse to put his foot on. He was making shoes for a very stout black horse. The horse's name was Ezra. There were a great many sparks around, and iron noises, and flames, and smouches. Ezra's hoof seemed to be burning. It smelt so funny we didn't think it would be polite to ask Jason what he'd rather smell like instead, so we decided to begin the other way about. But whatever way you decided, you had to scream it. Jason, I screamed. If you were a beautiful sound instead of a beautiful blacksmith, what beautiful sound in the whole wide world would you choose to be? Eh? screamed Jason. He stopped hammering. He stopped thumping. He stopped boiling poor Ezra's hoof with a red-hot poker. Eh? he said, all over again. Well, that's a new one on me. What's the big idea? Well, I want to know, said Jason. He sat down on a great block of wood. He wiped his sleeve on his face. It made his sleeve all black. If I was a sound, he said, instead of a man. Instead of a man? It seemed to puzzle him a good deal. Not to be a man any more, you mean? No arms, legs, stomach, eyes? To get all worn out and busted, staying on forever in one place? And then thrung away? But to be just a, just a sound? Just a sound. Well, of all the comical ideas, of all the... 
Then, quite suddenly, he whacked his hand down in a great black smouch on his knee, and clanged his feet like dungeon chains across a clutter of horseshoes. "'I've got it!' he cried. "'I've got it! If I was a sound instead of a man, I'd choose to be a song. Not great loud band tunes, I mean, that nobody could play unless he was hired and charged tickets, but some nice, pretty little song, floating round all soft and easy on ladies' lips and in men's hearts, or tinkling out as pleasant as you please on moonlight nights, from mandolin strings and young folks sparkin', or turnin' up just as likely as not in some old guy's whistle on the top of one of these ere omnibuses in London town, or travelin' even in a phonograph through the wonders of the great Sahara Desert, something all simple, I mean that you could hum without even botherin' with the words, something people would know who you was, even if there wasn't any words, something all sweet and low. Sweet and low, that's it. My mother used to sing it. I hain't thought of it for forty years. That's the one I mean. Sweet and low, he began to sing. Sweet and low, sweet and low, wind of the western sea. His voice was all deep and full of sand, like the way a bass drum makes you feel in your stomach. I looked at Carol. Carol looked at me. We felt pretty surprised. Jason the blacksmith looked more surprised than anyone, but he kept right on singing. Over the rolling waters go, come from the the something moon and blow while my little one while my pretty one sleeps father will come to his babe in the nest silvery something all out of the west silvery we ran when we got to the smoke tree and looked back there was no sound at all in the blacksmith shop except the sound of ezra thumping his hoofs and jason being a song instead of a man the faster we ran the more surprised we felt when you read a book of course you expect to be surprised if you didn't think the person who made the book was going to tell you something that you didn't know before, you wouldn't bother to read it. But when you're writing a book, it doesn't seem exactly as though so many unexpected things ought to happen to you. We were pretty glad when we ran right into the old minister, who preaches sometimes when all the young ministers can't think of anything more to preach about. The old minister was leaning against the bridge. The old lawyer was leaning against the bridge with him. They were waving their canes and their long white beards and arguing about the thirty-nine articles. Carol thinks it was the fifty-seven varieties they were arguing about, but the fifty-seven varieties I'm almost sure is pickles. It's the thirty-nine articles that is arguments. The old minister laughed when he saw us coming. Well, 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 he cried, see who's here and carrying such a big book, too, and all out of breath. He put his arm round Carol. 
I thought he was going to ask us our catechisms, and there wasn't any breath left in our catechisms. Oh, if you were a beautiful sound, I gasped, instead of a beautiful preacher, what beautiful sound in the whole wide world would you, would you, would you choose to be? Eh, said the old minister, huh, what's that? Uh, a sound instead of a preacher? Well, upon my word. This minute, you mean, or any minute? If I was a beautiful sound instead of... He mopped his forehead. He looked pretty hot. He twinkled his eyes at the old lawyer. Well, just this minute, he said, I'd rather be the sound of foaming beer than anything else in the world that I can think of. He thumped his cane on the ground. The old lawyer thumped his cane on the ground. They both started off down the road, thumping as they walked. We heard them chuckling as they thumped. They weren't arguing any more about the thirty-nine articles. They were arguing about cheese. And that was surprising, too. There wasn't any dinner left when we got home except just knives and forks and spoons. My mother found us two bowls to go with the spoons, and some milk to go with the bowls, and some crackers to go with the milk. Everything went very well. We told my mother we were sorry to be late, but that we were writing a book, and it was very important. My mother said yes, she knew that writing books was very important, and had always noticed that people who wrote them were very apt to be late to things. Her only regret, she said, was that Carol and I hadn't had a little more time in which to form habits of promptness before we began on such a chronic career as literature. My father said, stuff and nonsense. My father said that if we'd kindly condescend to tear ourselves away from the charms of literature for one brief afternoon, he'd like to have us weed the tulip bed. We said we would. We forgot all about our book. It isn't that pulling up weeds is any special fun. It's the putting flowers back that you've pulled up by mistake that is such a game in itself. You have to make little splints for them out of forsythia twigs. You have to build little collars of pebble stone all around them to keep marauding beetles from eating up their wiltedness. You have to bring them medicine water from the brook instead of from the kitchen, so that nobody will scream and say, Oh, what have you done now? Oh, what have you done now? It was supper time before we knew it. There was creamed chicken for supper, and wild strawberry preserve, and a letter from our sister Rosalie. Our sister Rosalie is in Cuba, visiting her betrother. She wrote seven pages about it. She seemed to like her betrother very much. My mother cried a little. My father said, Oh, pshaw! Oh, pshaw! You can't keep him babies forever. My mother tried not to look at my father's eyes. She looked at his feet instead. When she looked at his feet instead, she saw that there were holes in his slippers. She seemed very glad. She ran and got a big needle and a big thread. My father had to sit very still. It seemed a very good time to remember about the book. Carol went and got the book. He put it down on the dining-room table. It was a gray book with a red back to it. It said, Lanos Bryant, across the back of it. It was Lanos Bryant who had given us the book. Lanos Bryant was the butcher. It was an old account book. The front of it was all mixed up with figurings. It was in the back of it that we were making our book. My mother looked up. She smiled at us. Why, bless my heart, she said. We mustn't forget about the children's book. No such luck, said my father. 
Everybody smiled a little. What's the book about? said my mother. I looked at Carol. Carol looked at me. He nudged me to go on. It's about you, I said, and about father, and about Jason the blacksmith, and about the old preacher, and about most anybody, I guess, that would like to be about it. Well, 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 said my mother, and what is it for? Oh, it's just for fun, I said, but it's very important. Just the first instant anybody reads it, he'll know all there is to know about everybody without ever having to go and make calls on them. Everything interesting about them, I mean. Everything that really matters. Lots of things that nobody would have guessed. Mercy, said my mother. She stopped mending my father and jumped right up. My father jumped right up, too. Oh, it isn't written yet, I said. It's only just begun. Oh, said my mother, and sat down again. We thought maybe you and father would help us, I said. Oh, said my father, and sat down again, too. Carol began to laugh. I don't know why he laughed. It's, it's just a set of questions, I explained. Carol opened the book and found the questions. Just five or six questions, I explained. All you have to do is to answer the questions, and tell us how to spell it, perhaps. And then that makes the book. It certainly sounds simple, said my mother. She began mending my father very hard. And what are some of the questions, she asked. Well, the first question, I explained, is, what is your name? My mother gave a little giggle. She hushed my father with her hand. Oh, surely, she said, there couldn't be any objection to telling these pleasant children our names. No, admitted my father. My mother looked up. She twinkled her eyes a little, as well as her mouth. Our names are father and mother, she said. Carol wrote the names in the book. He wrote them very black and literary-looking, father at the top of one page and mother at the top of the other. They look nice. All right, then, said my father, fire away. I looked at my father. I looked at my mother. I didn't know just which one to begin with. Carol kicked me in the shins for encouragement. I decided to begin with my mother. Oh, mother, I said, if you were a beautiful smell instead of a beautiful mother, what beautiful smell in the whole wide world would you choose to be? Eh? What's that? What? said my father. Well, of all the idiotic foolishness, of all the... Why, no, not at all, said my mother. Why, why, I think it's rather interesting. Why, why, though I must admit, she laughed out suddenly, that I never quite thought of things in just that way before. She looked out the window. She looked in the fireplace. She looked at my father. She looked at Carol. She looked at me. She began to clap her hands. I've got it, she said. I know what I'd choose. A white iris. In all the world there's no perfume that can compare with the perfume of a white iris. Oris root, they call it. Oris. Hmm. What's the matter with tulips, said my father. Oh, but tulips don't have any smell at all, said my mother except just the nice earthy smell of spring winds and spring rains and spring sunbeams. Oh, of course they look as though they were going to smell tremendously sweet, she acknowledged very politely, but they're just so busy being gay, I suppose, that— The tulip goldfinch, said my father coldly, is noted for its fragrance. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, said my mother. She seemed very sorry. 
She folded her hands. Oh, very well, she said. Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. I will be the fragrance of the tulip goldfinch. But Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I really must insist on being the fragrance of a white iris. Hm, said my father. There aren't any of them that are worth the nice inky lithograph smell of the first garden catalogues that come off the presses long about February. My mother clapped her hands again. Oh, goody, she said. Right father down is choosing to smell like the nice inky lithograph smell of the first garden catalogues that come off the presses long about February. My father had to tell us how to spell lithograph. Carol wrote it very carefully. My mother laughed. Well, really, said my mother, I'm beginning to have a very good time. What is question number two? Question number two, I said, is, if you were a beautiful sound instead of a beautiful father and mother, what beautiful sound in the whole wide world would you choose to be? My father felt better almost at once. Oh, pshaw, he said, that's easy. I'd be the sound of gold pieces jingling in the pocket of a man, of a man. He looked at my mother, of a man who had a brown-eyed wife who looked something like my brown-eyed wife, and three children whose names, when you spoke them quickly, sounded very similar, yes, very similar indeed, to Ruthie and Carol and Rosalie. Oh, what nonsense, said my mother. What does the jingle of gold pieces amount to? Now, if I could be any sound I wanted to, I'd choose to be the sweet, soft, breathy little stir that a nice little family makes when it wakes up in the morning, so that no matter how much you've worried during the long black night, you can feel at once that everything's all right, and that everybody's all there. In all the world, cried my mother, I know of no sweeter sound than the sound of a nice little family waking up in the morning. I turned to Carol's page. I laughed and laughed. Bubbling fat is what Carol would like to sound like, I cried. The noise that bubbling fat makes when you drop doughnuts into it. But I? If I could be any lovely sound I wanted to, I'd like to be the sound of rain on a tin roof at night. All over the world people would be lying awake listening to you. And even if they didn't want to listen, they'd have to, till you were good and ready to stop. It took Carol a good while to write down everything about gold pieces and a nice little family waking up in the morning and rain on a tin roof. The next question is pretty hard, I explained. Maybe you'd like to be thinking about it. If you were a beautiful sight that people came miles to see, what beautiful sight in the whole wide world would you choose to be? My father didn't wait a minute. A field of tulips, he said. Carol pounded the table with his fists. His face was like an explosion of smiles. He pointed to my father's page in the book. It's already written, I said. We guessed it all the time. We turned to my mother. We saw a little quiver go through my mother's shoulders. I'd choose to be a storm at sea, said my mother. What? cried my father. A storm at sea, said my mother. My father stopped saying what and made a little gasping sound instead. You? You, he said, the gentlest soul that ever breathed, would like to be a storm at sea? End of section 9